So, I'm curious because I can see that Marlon is using an iMac, um, which is good. Mm-hmm. You, you got an iMac of some sort delivered this week. But I, <laughs> I, I know I also got a text that the new iMac, I presume, was making a funny noise. So, I thought that one was going back and I assumed you'd be back to your regular setup. But what's going on? I'm curious. <laughs> yeah. So, as you probably remember, we, we did this big iMac shuffle where I ordered a new one, one of those 2020 iMacs. Marlon would get mine and uh, we would put the, <laughs> the MacBooks into a closet somewhere. <laughs> Hopefully not to be touched until we actually have to leave this place again. Um, so, we did a shuffle. I unboxed a new iMac and it turns out I think it's the power supply that seems to have an issue where it makes... Uh, very strange clicking and rattling noises. And they're not consistent. First, we thought it might be the fan not being aligned, uh, hitting something, but the sound is like inconsistent and also the, the loudness of it changes. Yeah, and it seems to increase whenever there's more draw on the uh, more power draw, like a very white screen for example, uh, increases the, hmm. the, the noise. But or, you can also hear it even when the, you're not using the computer. Yeah, yeah. Which even, even when you put it to sleep, it would uh, keep doing making the noises for about another 30 seconds after the fan stopped. So it's definitely related to some kind of components rather than just a fan. Um, so we're getting a replacement shipped. Okay, so it's still usable for now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 barely. It's mm. it's. Right. I was worried it would be too loud. It's right. it's definitely very irritating. It's it's a bit. It <laughs> it kind of shifts from. It sounds like there's a hamster in there. To it sounds like there are crickets in there. So some it's, it, some type of creature. Yeah, it's it's definitely a bit creepy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's it's definitely busted. And I've actually seen on Mac rumors that there are few people that seem to have this issue. Um, so and I think they returned it. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. It is it is so noticeable. It's it's hard to to keep this. I would say, um, and it's very like anything that's related to a power supply. You probably also don't want to keep. Like even if it's like if if you're in a loud enough environment that it wouldn't bother you, it's probably not good to keep a computer that out of the box yeah. have yeah. has some kind of resistors that make weird noises in the power supply. I would say, as a as a rule of thumb, if your power supply is dodgy, probably get a replacement instead. So that's what we're doing. But uh, IMAX, as with all computers in, in the current times, are a big bit in, uh, on back order. So we're waiting for that uh, too. So what happens once this one goes back? Do you do the swap again? Do you use a laptop, Kai? How's this working? Uh, look, I, I was hoping that I wouldn't have that much downtime uh, between the two. So I was hoping that I could... Uh, kind of get the new one this week and then send this one back next week mm. to to just make sure because i didn't install a bunch of stuff before i realized how annoying this is so if if i could get a new one do like a, a, a migration that would be the the neatest option but i don't know we'll see depends on timing yeah i also don't want to keep this one on because as i said power supply issues i don't really want to use it for anything uh, I kind of assume it's going any minute, and that's not a great way of using a, a computer. Mm. So if there's no podcast this week because we can't record, <laughs> no, it's all right. uh, yeah, we should maybe record it on the old iMac that I'm having. Uh, but we decided to still keep all of Kai's account and everything on the iMac that I'm using okay. now. Then I just set up a separate user account so that if something happens and Kai has to move over to this one, I would move over to a laptop again. Yeah. So how's iMac life, Marlon? Bit of an upgrade? 
Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. It's so good. I don't have to close any apps anymore. <laughs> oh, that's good. Like in the beginning, when we started recording, I was like, oh, okay, I should go ahead and quit all my Xcode projects. I'm like, I don't have it's to do really that. It's really nice, isn't it? So to good. Be able and to I, have at one time. point, I think I had, yeah, I think I had like three, I think I had like five simulators running at the same time at one point. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's, yeah no, it's, it's life-changing. I know when I'm working on Petty, I'll often have three Xcode projects open simultaneously. Um, as well mm. as, you know, like three tower windows for each of those respective projects or, or tabs yeah. in tower, whatever. Um, terminal windows about the same. And it's just, it's great to not have to worry. Earlier today, I even had Xcode 11 and Xcode 12 running at the same time. Whoa, look at you. It's <laughs> amazing. Double the productivity. Yes, of course, of course. Mm. Uh, <laughs> mm. No, it's it's really good. I'm very happy about it. That's good. I That's should really have done good. it earlier. Yeah, and yet uh, the the 2020s actually a reasonable upgrade, especially for some of the audio flows. Mm. I mean, uh, we got the mm. kind of middle of the line one. We didn't go all the way because we knew uh, there is a. I don't know if you've heard, but Intel CPUs in in Apple uh, computers might not be around for for the next 10 years mm. uh and we thought it's it's but you're not future proofing <laughs> <laughs> you know i i thought spending like four thousand plus dollars on a computer that will feel obsolete very sooner than than normal mm-hmm. it's probably not a smart idea so we went with the basically the stock middle configuration so just one bump up in the cpu and uh only 512 gig ssd ah, okay. um and that's it like the base yeah. gpu and and everything else kind of standard uh which really good uh, value for money i thought and the eight core and pl- larger cpus in the old cooling design for the imac mm-hmm. they're getting pretty loud they have quite a high so you got the six core yeah 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 okay, i got cool. the six mm-hmm. core so the 3.3 gigahertz yeah, cool uh rather than the base what what is the base three one three three, three one, something yeah, yeah. So it's like the one bump up, but still yep. six core. And it's significantly like the, the eight core. I've watched a whole bunch of videos. The eight cores do get quite loud quite quickly. Yep. Um, even the six core is actually a lot louder than, than my previous one oh, from okay. 2017 that Martin's using. Yep. Um, but having six cores and uh, 12 threads for, for kind of audio processing, it's like, oh, things are done so much quicker. It's kind of nice. <laughs> That's um, good. But overall, it's an iMac. It's, it's, it's a good, good computer. Yeah. Yeah. No, nice. <laughs> that's that's really good. Glad to hear you're enjoying it. It'll be good once uh, the issue is sorted. But um, it <laughs> yeah, sounds like you're yeah. enjoying it anyway. Uh, but it was a bit strange already when we got it. We don't know what. Oh yeah, the something with the production experience. line. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when when we got it first, it was like I don't know if you open an iMac box before, but it's like it has the styrofoam. So so it has like a styrofoam case that holds the iMac, but then there's also this small sort of like holder, like a like a small pocket like a pocket in the styrofoam for the cable like the power ca- power cord to lay in and, and then, then there's they usually have some this kind like of like plastic flop like a yeah like a th- gl- plastic sheet that's glued on top of that for the cable to stay in the pocket even during probably the rough shipping conditions then i might go through to make it from Shenzhen yeah. or, or from shanghai this one actually got, came to to vancouver but like the cable was laying on top of that so it wasn't like the, it was like the pocket was closed up with the plastic and then the cable was laying on top. So it was tumbling in the same kind of compartment as the rest of the iMac. 
uh, so that was for for the entire shipping process, so, which is yeah. not great because that can quite easily scrape scrape the metal on the back or even dent the glass on the front. Mm. So, so that was the first thing that was really strange. And then we opened up the. Also, <laughs> this is like super world, first world problem yeah. warning. Uh, we should have a sp- uh, like a horn for that. Because <laughs> but this whole podcast is we just need to accept that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, it was just, it, it was just strange. It felt like maybe it's been tumbled or something happened to it during shipment. And also the plastic, like the screen protecting protection, the plastic that's on the front was having all those like bubbles under it it was completely like it was unstraight and not really seeming to be put on correctly yeah so, it was like folded in one side like had some like it was it was the weirdest i mean again no one cares but it was the weirdest wrapping for an iMac i've ever seen it looked like the mm. the wrapping got kind of heated up to kind of fit snug around the casing but not evenly so it was kind of twisted a bit on one side and then kind of very floppy on the other uh, the corners were not really matching the IMAX corner. It was very strange. It, it felt a bit like unboxing uh, a, a computing product that's not coming from Apple. Like you're smooth. <laughs> well, it'll it'll be interesting uh, to see how this compares when you get the the next mm. one. Yeah, um, yeah. I wonder if this was like. I mean, surely whoever made the power supply didn't also wrap the screen, right? So I, I don't don't think those are directly related, unless it was. I don't know, it was exposed to weird conditions during the flight or during shipment that, like, where it was getting hot and therefore the pocket kind of opened or it kind of got tumbled enough that, that something uh, got loose. I don't know. But, yeah, it was it was weird that the mm. complete, like, unboxing experience matched the default hardware uh, when it was finally plugged in. But, yeah, it was a bit weird. I wonder if the next one will be, will be any different. I also wonder if that might be related to different conditions at the moment during during manufacturing and and putting all those th- things together because i'm sure there's some kind of changes during during the process that have to be made with you mean related to covid yeah maybe yeah yeah you know maybe different contractors or fewer people having to get through the same amount and therefore it's a bit the expectation is that there are things that are a bit sloppier because they can't have as many people on the on the production floor at the same time or I don't know if anyone cares, but yeah, it's not it's not a big deal. It's just I think it makes a lot of sense for us to return this one and get another one, just because it is still quite a lot. It's a it's a computer we use for a while, and it's. I mean, without a doubt, it's like, uh, if your yeah, power makes popping noises, it's. I don't think it will even last. Uh, you know, it's, yes. it's a sign that there's something wrong with that resistor, and if that's gone, what are you going to do? Open the iMac and and desolder, and you know, no, that one needs to go back. Um, which is unfortunate because I was really looking forward to it. But in the grand scheme of things, Apple gives me the money back and we get another one. So it's not, yeah, not a big it's not deal. A big deal. Yeah, but that's that's the iMac story. That was fun. Mm. I still recommend an iMac. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Despite the terrible packaging. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Should have bought an iMac Pro. Uh-huh. Those are nicely wrapped. Sure, mm. sure. No, but I, I actually understand now more why some people were advocating for the cooling system. Because mm. the 2017 iMac is, is complete... I, again, it's also a base configuration. But yeah. it's completely silent. Like you, I've never done anything to that iMac to make the fan spin over idle speed, ever. Like, during the entire lifetime. Uh, apart from running through diagnostics once. I think diagnostics automatically kicks the fan into max. But apart from that, like using using it in any way, even like uh, video editing or audio editing or anything else that I could push that machine through, it never went past idle. 
speeds. Well, this one, when you're like processing some audio files or or doing any kind of larger task, definitely uh, you can start hearing the fan. Uh, so I do understand some some of the uh, more professional podcasters uh, arguing <laughs> hey. for getting an iMac Pro uh, because I could see how that could be annoying if you're if you're running things and all of a sudden you get like a vacuum cleaner spinning up uh, only inches away from from your microphone. I see why that might be annoying, especially if you go for like the eight or ten core configurations. Yeah. Cool. So that was our quick update on the iMac. Uh, speaking of new things coming out, how do you guys feel about iOS 14 and Big Sur release <sighs> dates? It's going to be soon, isn't it? I know this is kind <laughs> of a follow-on from our last discussion a fortnight ago about this, but getting the impression that things are around the corner uh, mm-hmm. in terms of like releasing iOS 14, it seems like the software probably will go out in September. And I know we were speculating about this uh, over messages yesterday and mm-hmm. saying it's likely to be mid-September. I think that was your guess, Kai, and, and I'm inclined to agree. Just given that we're starting to get betas without Xcode versions generally mm-hmm. implies, you know, getting <laughs> Xcode ready for the next uh, lot of mm-hmm. hardware, um, things like that. So... Um, it's interesting. But wouldn't isn't the usual pattern that you also don't get an iOS version? Generally, yeah. Yeah. So so maybe it will still be another couple of weeks away? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't expect GM. it to be tomorrow kind of thing, but oh, mm. this, this coming week, but maybe the week after we could see a GM. I mean, in general, again, Apple is easy to predict because they really like their patterns so what what i did in in order to kind of set ourselves some kind of arbitrary deadlines right because we have to at least for for the work we're doing right now with orbit for ios have some kind of dates in mind that we we're kind of uh working towards um so i just took last year's dates so last year uh, the xcode 11 gm came out in september uh, on september 10th uh, which pr- probably means... Uh, and that Last was- year was a Tuesday in the US. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, look, it would be nice to get some warning because in past years, you know, usually this is the week where we've got uh, event invites. So yeah, developers yeah. Mm-hmm. get an indication that, hey, look, we're probably going to get the GM, you know, a week or two mm-hmm. later, however long it is. But we, we kind of know roughly that it's coming on that day. And then mm-hmm. you can infer based on that that the public release will be a week later. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's two weeks, great, get extra time. If it's one week, well, at least you're prepared. Whereas this time, <laughs> if there's no uh, announcement, it's going to be hard. I I wouldn't be surprised if they are just dropping this, say, in a press release with... Mm-hmm. Um, Sorry, if they're dropping products in a press release that ship with this new software, be it WatchOS 7, iPad Mm -hmm. Airs with iOS 14, whatever, I would expect a press release of sorts to go out around the same time saying, hey, iOS 14 is coming on X day, Mm -hmm. maybe a few days in advance uh, to give some heads up because ultimately they do do those press releases anyway when we're in the middle of events and it'll Mm -hmm. be like iOS 14 coming on whatever and we get that press release on the event day. But it wouldn't surprise me if we get that a little bit earlier this time just just so that we know ahead Mm -hmm. of time when things are coming. Um, Yeah, but it's it's weird, right? Because... um we're kind of expecting like there might be an event next or in a press release next week um, for for those things. So usually Apple uh, release schedule, right? So it would be a Tuesday, so Tuesday the eighth um, for 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 that announcement of like whatever we're seeing, iPads at least, maybe watches. Mm-hmm. But then saying and next week iOS fourteen is coming out would be very short notice, especially <laughs> considering that. There, I, I do think a lot of people in the community at the moment expect some amount of delay just based mm-hmm. on like 
everything being the state of the world that we're in right now. Yeah. Um, so I feel like t giving some amount of notice would be useful for people to like wrap things up. I mean, yeah. I think a lot of people would have something to ship, but it's still like only having a week of doing like final testing on, on all the GM builds uh, without knowing that you're going into that. Um, it's, it's tricky. And I think we are already caring probably a lot more than average about those dates and, and the release kind of time frame. Um, so I, I, I wonder how many people are aware of that. That is even a possibility that we might see uh, Iris 14 in, in less than 14 days, right? Yeah, I think I think you're right with people sort of using the invitation as an indication. Mm -hmm. But I think from Apple's point of view, maybe they don't look at it that way, but they see it in terms of dates. And mm -hmm. they might think, oh, it's very clear. We always done it on this date and then it might just come out the same date without an indication. Mm. And I think many of us, including me, would like it to be a bit later, but I think we should probably brace ourselves for mm. it being around the same time as it usually is because if Apple is able to do it, I mean, they are, they are, uh, they are a company that like to be sort of on schedule and make sure that like, like everything is, yeah everything is consistent from year to year and like WWDC came out in uh, or was still being hosted like I think Google for example didn't have Google I.O. but Apple was sort of like yeah we're still gonna have it we still have it the same months as we always have it it was a bit of a delay but it still felt like everything kept on it was business as usual you had they had WWDC as far as possible at least yeah yeah they had WWDC they announced similar things they announced similar amount of things they had similar amount of sessions as well so i think if they can keep that pattern i think they would like it um so we should probably be prepared for that yeah so i wouldn't be surprised if we see ios 14 coming in september 17th and then um based on last year's macOS release maybe october 5th but again i think if anything is late it's probably going to be um macOS. macOS, just because i i as long as it's ready before the ARM Macs are, are available for purchase. I think that is the only thing that forces Apple into a timeline there because they just released a whole bunch of like new iMacs and they ship with Catalina as expected. And then the ARM Macs are the first ones that actually need Big Sur. And as long as Apple's happy, and realistically, even there, they're not really forced to, to release anything before all the software and everything is ready. So... Um, my guess would be October fifth, just based on previous years. But if that, if anything is late, then then probably that. Okay, but so uh, <laughs> I go back to we talked about this in earlier in a couple of episodes ago, mm -hmm. and then I think we were sort of saying that uh, I was sort of convinced, thinking, okay, if they can delay something, it's not going to be hard. Like if they they don't want to delay hardware too far or too long, but it could delay software. So, but now I'm sort of convinced that. If they can follow the pattern, why wouldn't they follow the pattern? Mm -hmm. But why would it then decide to not do that with macOS? If if they like, wh I think what it would will delay if them? they can. Okay, but if something has to go, it will be macOS over iOS. But it's not really the same people who would work on macOS as on iOS. So why would macOS be later? Uh, I mean, we've heard before that sometimes people are being pulled over to like from from macOS in order to get iOS stuff done. Um, and there's, it's like, there, there are so many parts that it's not like those are completely different companies. No. You know, they're um, probably... I mean, there are other parts around building software than just building it. Yeah. 
like some people might work on both things some like maybe i don't know how apple actually puts those builds together like how does their like one thing is mm -hmm. like software engineering mm -hmm. but the other one is how to make this into a thing that you can install on your computer how to bring all the frameworks together and all the system applications and actually build your operating system and i don't know maybe those are the same people and if if they're busy getting you know there there were a lot of problems last year i think with r13 to even get all the things merged and get everything together for build that could become a 13 so if if they're if they're busy with that then I, again i'm not saying that i'm thinking that ios will be deprioritized uh, macOS will be deprioritized but if anything has to go it will be macOS and not ios ios i think is apple's highest priority every year and yeah and it would be uh, it wouldn't I, I think they're also worried about like stock prices and stuff if apple would say hey I, iphone stuff is delayed or ios software is delayed people misinterpret it as iphones are delayed or whatever i think apple's very wary mm -hmm. of its importance okay. or ios's importance for apple well i don't think the stock price would be impacted by macOS delay but they would barely have to say that ios is delayed i think that is something that touches that's mostly relevant to developers i think no, most people like are excited even about. devices right when when um when they were talking about that the phone might be a couple of weeks late apple mm. felt obligated to mention that now mm -hmm. because it's so essential you know it's like uh yeah it's, yeah it's the iPhone sells within the first week more than most people, most small cities make, uh, all the citizen combined make in a lifetime. It's, it's a crazy amount of money and a crazy amount of like crazy sized business for Apple. And that's just so essential that you don't want to show any signs of that. If you can avoid it, then that is not happening. And I mean, iOS 13 would have been a great release to, re to delay, right? I think we got mm -hmm. iOS 13, um, and then not even a week or just a week later, we got iOS 13.1 already. And Apple still seemed to want to release iOS 13 within the same normal time frame, mm -hmm. despite knowing that iOS 13.1 would come a mere uh, seven days or whatever it was later. You know, yeah. Apple is yeah. very much into let's, let's rather ship something within a time frame and then maybe not advocate it to all like, through auto update. Then saying, all right, this stuff is coming late. That seems to be yeah, at least a, the last few times when we yeah. saw Apple being forced into making a decision, they picked mm -hmm. a consistent release schedule over anything else. Yeah, that's and a good reflection. So I'm, I, I would be surprised if that would change. Mm. And it looks like, I mean, all, I know both of you use iOS 14 betas. Mm -hmm. They're they're very solid. Like all the issues that I've had with the previous beta have been addressed in in beta seven at least as far as operating system goes. A whole bunch of the the kind of system framework issues I've had have been addressed. A lot of the kind of ex, uh, auxiliary things to a release they seem to start to come together now. Like the subscription promo codes. Uh, Oh, that yeah. we had an yeah. API for, but didn't really know how what that will look like. They have now been announced and kind of explained how that all will work and how that is being entered and what kind of effect that has. Um, the nutrition labels for for the App Store they are now being. <laughs> I don't think they officially call it nutrition <laughs> labels, but yes, the the privacy labels. Yeah, yeah. they they are now. Uh, there was like a news uh, developer news uh, thing yesterday, mm, I believe. Yeah, it was um, in the developer mm. app. Yeah. So it, it seems like everything is now gearing up to be like, all right, we, now all the pieces are coming together. Yeah, yeah. So which is usually also an indication of, you know, Apple's not doing that because they're like, oh, we've got nothing else to do. Might as well talk about nutrition labels. It's probably <laughs> in preparation for for some kind of iOS 14 release. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's, and that was actually the other thing that 
led me to believe it's around the corner because they're mm. starting to do those developer updates. Oh, and of course, iPads. I, we keep forgetting that, but I'm sure the iPads that they will announce at some point in the next couple of weeks, will. there's a chance that those will ship at iOS 14. Yeah. yeah. Um, so maybe that is also one of, despite not being as important as, as iPhone, still probably the second most important kind of platform yeah. Yeah, okay. uh, for Apple. And that's, I mean, I'm sure those iPads were designed to for iOS 14 and all the system hardware and uh, all the drivers. Do you think, so you think the iPads would be released uh, or announced in a press release or before the iPhone? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So that's that's my expect- yeah. expectation. So maybe next week already, on Tuesday 8th of September, iPad re- uh, announcement for available for order the same day or the next, mm-hmm. and then probably shipping from, from the week after if we're seeing the normal kind of release schedule. Yeah. No, I, I think the point that you're making that it feels like it's quite a solid build already is very convincing. And also the fact that like if they can keep a schedule that's aligned with what they usually have, why not keep it mm. the same? I think it sounds very reasonable, unfortunately, because <laughs> I would like some more weeks to build an app. But, Speaking of, yeah. we made... Uh, Really good progress, I think, uh, because this is... Ooh. Yeah, it's looking good. I think so, too. I think I'm so relieved <laughs> of There are actually how- two things we were super relieved about this week. One was um, uh, the uh, Big Sur Beta 6 fixed most of the layout issues we've had with our existing build running on, on Big Sur. So it, we kind of had weird things where entire, like, everything that was kind of in a list would collapse weirdly. And that, that was fixed. And we were kind of dreading having to figure out how to, new workarounds to, to not collapse on, on Big Sur. But that's actually been fixed in that beta. So that's, that was super, uh, nice to see because that probably took off like a week or two of us trying to figure out how to work around those issues. Mm-hmm. So seeing that that's been fixed, that just took off like entire an entire project in, in our uh, to-do list, which was great. And the other one um, was that we started, like, I mean, we started before, but now making like serious progress on the iOS app. Yeah, yeah. And I think uh, we always sort of knew that we were able to reuse some of our views, but we weren't sure how easy it would be for us to have separate targets for iOS and macOS in the same project and how it would work for us to start using the new Swift UI things that were released this year, um, but keep the old things in the in the macOS build. Uh, mm-hmm. but it was actually like it, it was actually a really smooth process to to just add a separate iOS target and get that to work. And mm-hmm. we can actually reuse quite a lot of the views. For example mm-hmm. the dashboard. It looks pretty nice already. We wanna make some changes, but I really think But it's also super nice to to start with something um mm-hmm. rather than trying to rebuild all the views because there's a lot of logic that we have related to certain design things right where we're like for example the invoices we don't really if we reuse the same view and all the same like display logic we don't have to worry again about potentially not getting a like one of the display calculation or not showing the totals in the right way or all the subtotals and the taxes because all of that is already there we're now just displaying it maybe in a different type of stack or in a different um, kind of hierarchy, view hierarchy, but but the core things are still there as as, as they are on macOS, and we know they're working on macOS, and we know they're correct on macOS. So it's just also really really nice to, even if the view might not fit nicely on the screen when you start, and then you start to add your your kind of uh, iOS and iPadOS specific uh, changes. Um, it's really nice to start off with something that you know works, and then you just tweak on top of that. And uh, some things just, I mean, realistically, I don't think we have a single view. Oh, actually, we have uh, the invoice um, 
the the kind of cell that for in in the invoice kind of list table view uh man, <laughs> i I'm, think I'm, you lost most of us by now i'm, I'm trying to 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 use full swift ui and and ui terminology in the same thing and that didn't work out okay just so th there's we have a list and there are rows that kind of show the state of different invoices like shows the invoices you have and the state they're in uh i think that's that row we could reuse completely but everything else we kind of at least made some kind of changes for it to work nicely on on the iOS, iPadOS platforms. Yeah, but like in comparison to what it would be to like rebuild everything in UIKit, it's yeah like ridiculously faster. I know, like, it, and it's it's not like we have a cross-platform thing that doesn't look native on either of them. We can actually we're actually able to swap out the parts that we know are Mac specific to you uh, to iOS or iPadOS specific things, and it can actually it actually is native component, mm. and uh, I think it's surprisingly good <laughs> and it's like some of the data flow stuff right we, we completely reuse like we have stores like as everyone that makes swift ui apps we have some data stores for different things and and the way that they're interacting and like all of our caching and all all of those kind of things they're the same code we made some changes where we got rid of ns images and actually use uh uh, swift ui images and then depending on the platform kind of parse them different and store them differently but it's like overall it's like all the kind of logic we can reuse and the way that they're happening like when when we hit like when we miss the cache and then actually fetching it from from the network the logic of kind of showing a loading indicator is the same we're showing a different loading indicator on ios but at least we don't have to worry about that logic and that kind of check of um, is the data stale? Do we want to show old data and then and show a loading indicator to show that we're updating it and those kind of things? All of that is already there. We just have to fill in. It's it's essentially giving us like the the UI plan and we're filling mm -hmm. it in uh, with other views where necessary. And that is so fast and so comfortable of a way of working because you're like, all right, I already know those that they work in concept and I just fill it in to make it look pretty hmm. is, is, is very nice. Like it, it really feels like we're, we're reaping in some of the rewards from, from building in Swift UI, which we weren't sure if we would, mm -hmm. but now, now it really, it really shows. Now that's really interesting to hear you say that, but also it's also really good. And it's been sort of nice to see your screenshots throughout the week of mm. things coming together really quickly. Um, yeah. And it sort of proves, I guess, to an extent that that, um, thing where swift ui is meant to you know be be platform agnostic is mm -hmm. to an extent true and that's that's quite good um and i imagine mm. you're going to run into some limitations but you know for the most part it sounds like you're benefiting from having already written this stuff so yeah uh, it's good and i also think even the parts that we do have to that we decide to rewrite because we think they don't fit perfectly in on ios then those are so quick, like just like we, there was one scenario where I had to make a form and I wanted to look a bit more iOS-y than we had it on macOS. And then I thought, okay, I just do that layout from scratch. But it took me like less than an hour to lay that out, or, like half, probably like 15 minutes to get the basic layout mm -hmm. just because it's so little boilerplate there, right? Mm -hmm. If you would do that with like a collection view or a table view, there are so many, so many boilerplate classes that you, sorry, boilerplate function that you have to add there for it to work and for selection to work and all mm -hmm. of that. So I think this is, it's just, even when you do need to customize things, it's very quick. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's also now we have like, I don't know, six months of um, Swift UI experience. Which really helps. And to be honest, SwiftUI on iOS is a lot easier to work with than on macOS, just because you have 
you have less you have fewer things to kind of uh like for example you you usually have one way of navigating from one view to another well on macro as you might have like for example a list you might have the option to double click the list to bring it up in a new window but if you select it it might show it in a detail view but if you right click it you might have the option to open it in a new win- window so you kind of have like three different ways of of dealing with it and then the same for for like deleting uh, an item, you might ha- hit the delete key on the keyboard and that brings up like a confirmation sheet. You might do a right click and a delete to delete it. Or you go through the, the menu, to, through the menu bar and go uh, select delete through there. So it's like a lot of and different think, ways yeah, that those f- things uh, all you, that you all have to implement if you want to make a proper macros app. Yeah. And some of them are not uh, exposed in your uh, Swift UI, so we had to bridge to AppKit. I think we don't have a single place so far in our iOS uh, build that actually uses UIKit. I think everything is is pure Swift UI so far. Yeah, as far as I remember. No, I yeah, you're, yeah, anything. you're right about that. That's yeah. really good. Yeah. Hmm. And then there are like a lot of nice things now in like for example when you're in in like when you build something and the keyboard comes up how you're now uh your view kind of considers that part of the safe area mm-hmm. and and like you're not like uh, overlapping your your text input field with yeah. the keyboard because with your handles that yeah, a lot of I those think nice a things. lot of those things came this year as well uh, so I think it's quite nice I think probably people who built Swift UI apps on iOS before this year's WWDC might have had some more issues similar to what we had on macOS. Mm. But it's I think this was a pretty good time to start with this as well because we can reuse and we can also use some of the nice things. Like I started using the... Um, it's not text field. Uh, it's a, like a text input text field, editor. a text editor, uh, which allows you to have like multi-line text, which mm. <laughs> should, should be a thing that <laughs> is something they should have had before because it's something that's quite a common UI element. But now it's there. And I think that is... It's there are some really nice improvements as well that we really. But also use. like all the Swift, I mean, it's, we we can't really we couldn't really use that on on um for our Mac app yet. But all the Swift five point three improvements are so nice. Like being able to just use iflet again to to get uh get uh to punch out uh, optional values and being able to uh switch on things in in the function builder. It's it's like all the it feels like Swift. Uh, finally entered uh, Swift UI. <laughs> it's like all the all the language features that we've hmm. used for for many many years, and it's not like optional was is a super obscure thing in in, in Swift, right? It's it's fairly it's, common it's that like you think optional. It's like one of the optional. selling points of Swift. <laughs> so and yeah. being able to to actually use all the Swift language features that were designed to deal with those things nicely uh, makes makes a huge difference in how we we are able to build certain things now. Yeah, so overall, I've I've been super happy with the progress so far. I mean, we're not obviously not done yet, so who knows what we might run into like a an issue at some point in the future. But so far, it's been really nice. And and, f- and and I think there would be if we would do this for iOS first, we would probably have similar issues to what we had on macOS. I think we we the good thing is that we already solved a few of our issues. Mm-hmm. On macOS, or we, like I said, we already have experience building with SwiftUI for half a year, so that really helps. And I think if you're new to SwiftUI, there are definitely still some concepts that are quite unfamiliar, and like it will take some time to get used to it. And there are some weird things that aren't working as you would expect them to. It can either be bugs or it can just be different ways of doing things. I think I don't want to make people feel like, oh, they, they did this very quickly. It's just, I think we have worked on this for 
quite some time now and we were lucky to be able to reuse a lot of the things but if you're new to it it will probably be a, still still a bit of a learning curve just because it's so different from UI kit um but I still I think I would recommend people to try it out like I think after oh yeah without a doubt yeah yeah like I definitely think if you start a new project today I, I, I would recommend trying it with with Swift UI, yeah, especially yeah. Even if you maybe macOS. I mean, if if you're not in a super hurry and you already know AppKit, m- might go m- maybe go with AppKit. But for 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 an iOS app, I'd probably say yeah. give it a shot with Swift UI. I definitely even if feel like it's ready, and it's so nice to make like differences between iOS and iPadOS as well. Mm. Uh, that works really smoothly as well, and I, I think I really think it's it feels like it's ready for people to start playing around with. And using, uh, yeah, hmm. yeah, very, very confidently recommended. It. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that's good though. It's good. Like, and uh, it's easy enough to mix and match, right? Yeah. If there is something that you're like, all right, this this is not quite what I want it to be, and you want to override a specific behavior of a list that you does is not exposed in Swift UI, you can wrap it in a in a UI view, and that's okay too. Like it's 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 not that you someone has to make the decision to do Swift UI or 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 abandon the project, right? There's still enough potential to to mix and match when when necessary. But I think most of the normal use cases should be covered, like login screens, create account flows, like anything that's kind of getting input from the user forms. Those things are super nice and and usually quite quite quickly to put together in Swift UI. That would yeah. be tedious with UI Kit. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I definitely recommend it. <laughs> but there, were, there was one I've thing... I've your recommendation. Yeah. Um, no, I, I would maybe like... consider looking at it too. I would definitely recommend it. No, I definitely recommend people doing certain views in it, especially things that are table. It would usually be just a table view. If um, you like can... Forms. If you can say you go Swift, uh, iOS 14 only. Yes. If you go iOS 13, yeah. then I think there's still a few pain points yeah. that requiring iOS 14 just remove. Speaking of pain points, there was one thing I want to mention that I'm very surprised about. Um, apparently, there is no Swift UI equivalent to pull to refresh. Oh, yeah. Uh, that is really surprising to me because it feels like such a common pattern for iOS apps. Mm. So I came across that and I'm a bit... That seems a bit strange. Do, do you, uh, Zach, have you come across anything like that you could replace pull to refresh with, or have you have you sort of stuck with the kit for those parts? Or it just shows stale data? <laughs> no, I haven't. Um, I I haven't I haven't come across anything similar. Um, my approach is just refresh the data very aggressively and hope that nobody ever feels the need to pull to refresh. <laughs> Yeah, I think in general, uh, our approach to this will be that we're making heavy use of notifications, mm-hmm. like push notifications, when we know on the server that something has changed. Because we wanted to do that anyways for like when we go to like multi-platforms, right? Because you might have your Mac app open and you make a change on the iOS app. We want to get to a point where you don't have to worry about seeing stale data. Your data will always be up to date. Uh, and that is either manual, like if your Mac is sleeping and you wake up and you're after like, I don't know, a certain threshold, a minute or whatever, we do a check and, and refresh. But if your Mac happens to be available and there it happens to get notifications, we can just send one saying, hey, there is a change in your time entries, maybe update those. Um, and then it just happens to magically behind the scenes, which I think is, is quite nice. So I, I, I kind of... Pull to refresh would have been the lazy quick way to get there but i actually don't yeah i uh, i mean in our scenario it probably leads for a better gives gives for a better app 
to some extent. But I think even if you do have some really nice refresh and you refresh your data often, I think many for users it's quite satisfying to know that they are able to pull the yeah, refresh. Yeah, yeah. I think this is kind of like, all right, I know it's up to date now. Yeah. But also, I think for some people it's a fidget toy uh, at that point when it, when you have pulled to refresh, and I don't want them to re- keep refreshing our data for no no purpose. <laughs> Teaching people good behavior of not uh, idle idle refreshing all the time. That's that's my excuse. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, so Zach, how do you find SwiftUI now when you've been using it for a while? Yeah, mostly really good. Um, I've worked around some limitations I thought I'd run into with Patty, and that's mostly... Uh, most of the limitations I ran into for Patty were around the limitations of lists and how they're not very mm-hmm. customizable, mm-hmm. and there's very limited list styles available, and you kind of have to do things Apple's way. It's It's been a little bit like this with um, table views as well before, where custom headers and footers get tricky if the table view is grouped. And mm. things like mm-hmm. sticky headers, if the table view isn't grouped, are difficult to overcome. And there's all these kind of things mm-hmm. that, that lists have the same restrictions. And so, I've learned to embrace the lazy V-stack and mm. just build my own <laughs> list. Um, the reason I'm drawing on this specific example is, is is because it's the only time in building the recent petty stuff that I felt really limited by Swift UI. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought, great, this is fantastic. The custom V, oh sorry, the lazy V stack is working really well. I've done it. Then I tried to add uh, an edit, like a custom edit type thing, um, mm-hmm. and I'm like, why isn't it working? Why why is it not responding to this state change? Oh, I'm mm-hmm. using a V stack, not a list. And mm-hmm. so now I have to come around uh, with a workaround to that. It basically just customize the edit mm-hmm. state in a, in a V stack and do it myself. But, but you can uh, observe that, right? You can observe whether this view yeah, is in an edit Yeah, and that, state that's and why I was surprised that nothing was happening. I was like, surely there's some default UI, even if it just <laughs> the content slides over a little bit and, and adds one of those little handles for dragging mm-hmm. or something like that, and nope. nothing was happening. And then I remembered I wasn't using a mm-hmm. list as I thought I was. Um, but I do really like SwiftUI for just quickly building views. Like, it's really fast to just pull up a new view and, and quickly test something out, quickly prototype it. Uh, I'm very much a fan of it for that. It's worked really well for Petty with the graphs that I'm building because I want to mm-hmm. reuse them in the widget as well. And so, I've mm-hmm. been able to basically share a huge portion of that code. Um, mm. The only thing that differs, if, you, if um, you've seen the graphs, you know what I'm talking about. If you mm-hmm. haven't seen them, mm-hmm. you'll see them in a few weeks when it ships. Um, <laughs> the only thing is like the sort of parent view that like, contains the the other subviews i have that mm-hmm. different on uh, in the widget because i want to lay it out differently in the mm-hmm. widget and mm-hmm. so that made the most sense i didn't want like super different custom versions of that you know like passing parameters to have mm-hmm. it reconfigured mm-hmm. and and that gets really messy fast but i reuse mm-hmm. all of the individual components and, and just style them differently in that mm-hmm. like parent mm-hmm. view that i do separately so that's mm-hmm. worked really well yeah I, i'm i'm very impressed do your widgets um get the data from the main app or do you do your network request kind of with this url thing for a widget yeah no widgets are completely standalone um, okay it, it might make sense eventually to share the data so that way if the widget was up to date, the app wouldn't necessarily have to do a refresh mm-hmm. when the user opened it. But we're also talking about very, very small amounts of data. Mm-hmm. So that kind of optimizing is not a priority for the initial release. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the widgets are completely self-contained. And that will translate nicely into things like complications when I mm-hmm. eventually get there on the watch. So 
look, I mean, the use of petty, like the use of complication for petty, I'm not convinced is there, but I kind of want to build it just as something that would be cool. I think the graphs would look cool on the new like infograph modular face mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. as that big sort of chunk you can have in WatchOS 7 where you can place a completely custom view. I think it could mm-hmm. look interesting there and it would be a fun way. I haven't worked with complications probably since watchOS 3. So, it would be a good way to brush up mm. on those skills. Um, and given how similar they mm-hmm. are to widgets, I figure it wouldn't take long either. But mm. I am quite liking that, um, the reusability of it all. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the new screen, the dashboard that I've built for Petty, um, yep. which again mm-hmm. will be shipping soon, completely Swift UI. And that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not having to call in any UI kit for that. Um, you can, <laughs> from that screen, uh, click through to- I uh, click through, man. I sound like a web developer. You can um, <laughs> no visit screens that like were previously built with UIKit. So, I do, you know, have some, uh, is it hosting control? No, hosting control is the other one. Mm-hmm. View representables, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. view controller mm-hmm. representables. Um, but obviously, that's unavoidable uh, mm-hmm. to call into UIKit. No. Um, but yeah, How? no, overall, very impressed. I like the code sharing thing and it's super fast to mm-hmm. just go from idea to something that's on on the screen. Uh, and I'm very much a fan of that. So, I'm coming around to Swift UI. There's still some weird restrictions. Sometimes I don't really understand why things are doing things. Fun fact, if you look at the graphs that I have in Swift SwiftUI, um, so, they're kind of like uh, column graphs are laid out horizontally. And um, have a guess at what the spacing value is between those columns. Minus two. Zero. Yeah, close. Uh, so, minus 10. <laughs> yeah. um, did yep. you set a did you set a custom spacer? Uh, did you set the spacing for the overall H stack? Uh, so probably in an H stack, right? Do yeah, you, yeah, yeah. So, so the, the, H, sorry, the H stack, the spacing is is negative ten in the H stack. Oh, oh really? really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yep. I, I don't huh. know why. Um, I, I Did don't know you why give your bars a background color? Do they try to expand? The bars shouldn't try to. The bars have a fixed horizontal width. Mm-hmm. They don't have a fixed height. They have a spacer on top mm-hmm. that sh- like sh- mm-hmm. uh, gr- uh, grows and shrinks to mm-hmm. um, fill in the unavailable space, mm-hmm. uh, for lack of a better word. But yeah, that that spacing is negative ten, and I don't know why it works. And like negative two doesn't work, and zero doesn't work. But yeah, it's um okay. Anyway, there's, there's little things like that where it's mm-hmm. when and when that happens, I'm kind of like it's a little bit frustrating because. <laughs> I feel like that's the type of thing that might break. Yeah, um, yeah definitely. And, and yeah, you don't want to have just magic numbers. Mm. Exactly, like exactly. But it's like, that's how I had to do it. And mm. if I consider, mm. like, that's really the only hack, so to speak, that I've got mm. in these graphs. And when I think about how much time it took versus how much it would in UI kit, well worth it. Even if I have to mm. go back and fix this and yeah. do it right when we get better mm. tooling, um, that that's totally cool. Mm. So, mm. Yeah, um, the good have- thing is that you do use the app a lot yourself. So, you would definitely notice if something breaks as a result yes. of this. Yeah, yeah, we 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 had um for one of our for for the sidebar, mm-hmm. um we wanted to make it full width, right, so that it yep. actually goes under underneath the traffic light on macOS, mm-hmm. and for that we ignored the safe area, yes. but then it would collapse if we give uh. it an offset uh, of of one or two or five doesn't matter as long as there's some kind of offset applied to it, and make sure that the background like the kind of gray you get on macOS that one goes across the whole. The whole sidebar, but the the actual elements in the sidebar do not. But you have to give it some kind of offset, even if it's point one. I think was the minimum. As long mm-hmm. as it's not an offset of zero, it will, um, it will it will work. But it's also it's like every every even a minor update, right? For for macOS, we're we're making sure that uh, that nothing breaks and causes weird issues. But it's also a small enough offset that we feel like 
if if something would happen and it would be slightly misaligned by like a fraction of a pixel or a fraction of a point it should be fine it's just we don't want it to start collapsing again because it rounds like 0.1 back to like zero or something but those kind of things are a bit like i don't know why it does that there's probably some implementation detail that if if i would think about it for a long time maybe can approximate but realistically what we'll do for this is we get rid of the hack as soon as we can we try to remove it every time there's a new update and then get rid of it as 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 soon as feasible yeah look i think in my case um with the horizontal layout thing because i've got the fixed width of the column um mm-hmm. what, what was actually happening is if i set a positive or just ignored the spacing value the graph on on thinner phones would just extend mm-hmm. off the side of the view mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I, I guess it's because it can't satisfy a fixed column width and a fixed spacing mm-hmm. width simultaneously mm-hmm. so I, I suppose the negative is doing something like saying hey just fill the available space but i don't mm-hmm. know like what it is and i don't know why negative mm-hmm. 10 works whereas something like negative one or two <laughs> doesn't um so go figure but like and then, no. there were some mm-hmm. times like if i did other negative values it would properly do it negative like where it would go the other Mm -hmm. way and lay it out Mm -hmm. yeah and it's just some reason magic sorry negative 10 magic number um Mm -hmm. thanks swift ui but yeah no like overall (laughs) i'm a fan like obviously there's Mm -hmm. there's little gripes here and there but for Mm -hmm. what you get in um like what you get in such little code it's quite impressive Mm -hmm. and i I very Mm -hmm. much like working with it for those kind of Mm -hmm. complex ui layouts yeah i I agree it's it's very nice we were kind of were talking a bit about it earlier and i want to hear your take on it now when you start picking up swift ui do you feel a bit like you're losing do you still feel like you can use some of the learnings that you had from ui kit or do you feel like you're throwing all that knowledge out as soon as you start picking up swift ui oh that's a really good question i think the benefit of knowing ui kit is knowing how ios layout works so knowing things yeah. like safe yeah. areas um if you had a reasonable understanding of stack views before swift ui that there's some translation there um and i can understand how you know, you, you, it leads you to think about things as more flexible width and not mm-hmm. fixed and all of that. But yeah, no, it is a very different beast. Um, even in terms <laughs> of things like trying to pin constraints in Swift, sorry, in UI kit, uh, I remember going into Swift UI and, and kind of thinking in the same way. Like, I want that as an offset from this and I want to say fill, but don't exceed and that kind of thing and it's just not how swift ui works so mm-hmm. hey, look i think there is a benefit to knowing ui kit and you're probably going to um i don't think you're going to get into swift ui any faster but you're probably going to be more familiar with the system thing so you're going to have mm. less issues with things like safe areas because you know what they are um but generally speaking no i don't know if there's too much advantage to knowing ui kit maybe knowing some of the underlying Things like you you know how a table view works, you know how that performs. So, mm-hmm. when you use a list, you understand what's going on behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. It means, you know, for sometimes if you have to set like a global appearance modifier, you might be more familiar with those kind of things. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, mm-hmm. I don't think mm-hmm. that's a huge advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It's a good question, though. What what do you think? I have some similar thoughts. To, like when, when Kai first asked me, brought this question up, I was like, yeah, of course I can still use some of the learning from your kid. Like instinctively, I felt like, I still use some of the knowledge, but I think what you mentioned is like what I actually do is that I use the things I learned about the platform mm. from writing UI kit. I feel like I have an intuition of how a, an iOS app should look and work. And I think that is something I got through 
UI kit. It doesn't necessarily mean that the UI kit, the, the specific things I know about all the UI kit components help me with that. But like, I feel like all the things that are not really writing the code, like just knowing about the platform, knowing what's available, knowing about like, like also just knowing what to, what to look for when, when I, and, and what, what is possible on the platform was something I learned from UIKit. And I can definitely carry all of that over. And I think in the beginning, there is the comfort that you know that if something isn't working, you can fall back on UIKit. So I guess that's the one benefit. But at the same time, I didn't know AppKit before starting to write Orbit for the Mac. And I ended up learning that in order to fall back to it. So I don't know if you need to know UIKit before that in order to have that benefit. But I think, yeah, definitely just knowing the platform and being comfortable with it and just have that intuition is the thing that I feel like I got. But it's also interesting, right? Because at the moment, you're probably at a state, especially for the iOS app, where all the things you write in Swift UI, you you know how you would have implemented them in UIKit. Mm-hmm. Probably close to 100% match, right? You can mm-hmm. you can kind of see, I would go down with the table view row or, or now with a collection view and make those kind of modifications to it and change the appearance here here to that way and then and then segue f- from from this view on, on tab and add, a, add the um, accessory to, to make it look like it's tappable, but then don't do that on iPad, whatever, right? You, you At the moment, you can still translate that. But I think... Uh, what will happen now when we're working so much with Swift UI and not that much with UIKit, I think you're also starting to that that kind of gap is starting to wide starting to widening already now. Like for example, the uh, using collection view stuff um, instead of uh, table views on iOS, I've not used that yet. And I might not because I write most things in SwiftUI and <laughs> SwiftUI will change what, what they're doing underneath. But I might not write a collection view anytime soon that uses any of the new uh, table view like uh, uh, display options, mm-hmm. which is interesting. And also like toolbars that we're using on, on iPads now. I don't know what that API looks like on, on iPad. I don't know. Is it called toolbar? Is there a different <laughs> name for it? Do you put it in the uh, navigation bar, but you have to find the right... I don't know. And it's interesting. I, I find it very interesting that now we're getting starting to get to a point already where we know like all the new things only in SwiftUI. And it's it's kind of similar to what happened to us when we moved from our the countries that uh, we lived in where we're like me being from germany Malin being from sweden and us moving to australia um the new things we're learning about our our jobs and industry we only learn in one language Mm -hmm. and then when we try to talk to our family or friends back from 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 like the the old country (laughs) it's sometimes hard right you you sound like a fool because you're like i don't know how to describe this programming thing in in german or in swedish not not to go too much of a 10 on a on a side note but i did know i did run into a swedish guy at wwdc one year and he wanted to chat to me about all the things that were announced and he wanted to chat about them in swedish I'm like, I have no idea what how you say this in Swedish. And I'm like, just to, like, I, I sort of, I, I just told him like, do you mind if we just keep on speaking English? And it feels really awkward to ask for that. But yeah, yeah I know what you mean, Kai. But it's like oh, function parameters. I was like, what is that in German? Is is it like the obvious one or is it a different term? And you sound like a fool, right? Yeah. Because all my other parts of my German are fine. You would think that I'm a native German speaker. Yeah. But if, if I would... S- try to talk about programming it sounds like i've i've picked up programming like yesterday yeah because you've learned the lingo for programming in english i presume Um, yeah 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 of course yeah Yeah. so it it is kind of weird and i start to feel that way a little bit i mean again i think that will only increase over time but i start to feel a little bit 
like that now with Swift UI when I use like toolbars and I find like a UI kit answer. I was like, I don't know those APIs. So I don't, <laughs> I don't care, uh, which is interesting. And I, I think, yeah, at the moment, mm-hmm. maybe we get some benefits from kind of knowing what happens behind the scenes because we kind of sometimes have to know and look behind the scenes to, to get, get this thing to behave the way we want. And I think there's also a lot of value on knowing what's possible because you know what's probably possible in SwiftUI. And if not, you know when you have to move away from SwiftUI to use UIKit or AppKit mm-hmm. behind this, like uh, wrap some some of those uh, APIs because you know for a fact that it's possible because you've done it before. Mm. If you've only done SwiftUI, maybe that is kind of your world at first. You're like, I, those APIs are not available, so they don't exist to me. Mm. Well, for us, we're like, all right, they're not available and Swift UI, now we have to go back to the to the old uh, framework. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's value in that, but that's only going to shrink over time. Um, and I'm I'm very interested in that transition because it is certain things, right? I think Swift UI came out in a, in a funny time in Apple's ecosystem and platform state, right? Because we had like uh, 12 different ways of making apps on all the platforms. Um, all of them were kind of early, like Catalyst was kind of early, Swift mm-hmm. UI was early. So a lot of People that started with that uh, were kind of, ex- and, and like even as we talked about, right, uh, that you couldn't use like 90% of the Swift language uh, in, in Swift UI. There are a lot of people that started building apps for Apple's platforms when Swift UI came out, with Swift UI being their first touch point. And now all of a sudden there's an entire language that was added to it where you have like control flow. Think about that. How crazy. <laughs> Um, that you can all of a sudden use to build views and it's like, uh, and, and like all those new, th- like modifiers that were added and, and new hook points. And it's kind of, it's, it's, it's an interesting, it's interesting state in, in Apple platform development. And also I wonder how, how, how it is for people who've kind of started with Swift UI last year. And now, now there's so much of a jump in a way to, to all those new things. It's, it's kind of it's an interesting time i think mm. i'm trying to draw an analogy uh, i guess it's a bit like if someone grows up only ordering takeout <laughs> what? <laughs> and then, and then you, you tell them hey you know you can order produce as well and just make the food yourself they're like whoa i learned this new thing and, and oh, it's swift you are the takeaway food <laughs> yeah, takeaway right. is swift ui and the ui kit is cooking things yourself um then, uh, that's why i said i was trying to think of an analogy <laughs> i'm still trying uh we'll, we'll see if this key, if this stays yeah, i will keep it in the show <laughs> Yeah, but it's it's interesting. I I I think. Uh, I mean, it seems like Apple is very dedicated to its Swift UI. Um, oh, for sure. And and we're seeing a lot of improvements. To that. And it's nice. It settles so many debates as well, right? The, this entire thing of like, do you use do you lay out your code uh, your your views in code <laughs> versus storyboards versus uh, segways or programmatic uh, navigation versus do you use SnapKit for everything? It's like all of those things are just settled by Swift UI, which is kind of satis- like mm. nice, right? A lot more code. I mean, if you look at Stack Overflow, most of it is questionable, but at least they're following i feel like the style is more consistent like they're even the answers on stack overflow that i might come across that are completely not usable because they do something i should probably answer some of those and <laughs> say what's going on there but it's like in general like if you look at stack overflow you probably don't just copy uh most of the things you see probably you're doing some filtering and you might actually take 10 percent of the things you see but you kind of pick some parts here and there from other answers that you didn't know about or that you find interesting and that mm-hmm. you want to experiment with. And I think it's kind of nice in SwiftUI. It makes it a lot easier for kind of 
communicating things because everything is laid out in code by default. So it, and everyone kind of does it mm-hmm. roughly the same way. I mean, some people use geometry readers everywhere. Others try to avoid it. There, there are still differences, but at least kind of you, you, no one's going to paste a the storyboard XML. No, you know, it's 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 very <laughs> yeah. strange. It was really hard to communicate about layout things in in Stack Overflow, Twitter, and mm-hmm. those kind of uh, environments. Because what are you going to do? You take a screenshot of Interface Builder with all your constraints exposed. That's not really helpful. Mm. And SwiftUI just allows you to to do that a lot easier on in kind of written right. format. That's helpful communication. And I think that is that is something very powerful. And I think that will also go more into like to, it, it, there are benefits in companies, right? I think SwiftUI is probably not as widely adopted. The larger the company, the less likely they adopt SwiftUI. I would think just because probably want to support back to iOS twelve or or two, depending on the company. Um, and and it's it's hard to do that right now with something that's as new as Swift UI, right? To drop to thirteen at least or fourteen ideally. Um, but I do think there's a lot of values like how how much joy do you get out of merging a storyboard file merge conflict? <laughs> a lot, you know. You know that's, no one's that's... like that is my favorite part. Yeah. But Mal and me working on the same file, apart from sometimes indenta- indentation is a bit annoying because it's like you indent something and then that's being considered different enough to to cause issues but overall it's very easy, easy just to put everything unindented <laughs> <laughs> yes that's the solution but overall it's way easier right it's it's just text you're doing text comparison and it's very simple and very descriptive and i think there are a lot of sounds like you would have wanted to lay out all your coding all, all your ui constraints in code guy <laughs> Uh, in in theory, I do like that. I do like laying things out in in code as far as like managing it and and modifying it. I mm-hmm. do not like the language you used for all the layout in code. Mm-hmm. That that was more my problem. I I didn't mm-hmm. mind using laying it out in code or or in storyboards, but the language you used in code felt <laughs> offensive to me sometimes. <laughs> and it's like you always forget like to activate one of them and something is weird and it's it's, mm. it's yeah, too it's easy strange. to miss something and it was there there were other issues. All of them were trade-offs. It was, you know, no one could say without a doubt storyboards is the way to go. It wasn't. It it really depends on what you're doing. Mm-hmm. As soon as you're like making larger changes to what your view looks like at runtime, storyboards were really messy where you turn on and off constraints and move uh, the constants around. And it was kind of messy. It was, it's, it's definitely not, not easy. And if you, if you go down the route of like custom tra- uh, view controller segue transitions, it's like, it's just terrible. <laughs> um, well, Swift UI definitely um, approaches us very differently. And uh, there is, um, I-, I think that is, that is, kind of nice to despite now having so many different frameworks right do you build it in right now right do you build things in AppKit or swift mm-hmm. ui or you when you bring it to mac do you use catalyst or do you use swift ui or or on on our macs do you just run your ios app as is there are a lot more like kind of upfront choices but if someone goes with swift ui i feel like we have a lot more consistency and i think that's kind of kind of nice yeah like there is consistency but at the same time there's less consistency just there's because more there are more consistency choices. if you go with swift ui yeah. but less consistency in in which way to go it was very obvious in in the past right if if apple says we're we're using we're using swift 5 now no mm. one would say that, like ah, you know what i stay on swift 3 it's like no, you 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 move along. And you, you adopt the new things because Apple's APIs do that, and you kind of you have to mm-hmm. move along. Mm-hmm. Now it's a bit more split as far as 
making a decision which route do you go but i feel like it's it's actually not that hard if you have existing code base maybe start with catalyst if you start something from scratch i don't see a reason uh, why you wouldn't at least try to make heavy use of swift ui Hmm. anyways uh very very interesting times yeah it's like I, you, you you were talking a bit about w- widgets are you planning on chipping and having this ready for ios 14 yep uh part of the yeah. reason <laughs> why not knowing a release date is even more painful but yeah i've got a bunch of widgets ready to go so in the case of petty uh all the trend stuff will be available on widgets you'll be able to see sort of price history for 30 days and probably eventually 90 days but not in this initial release just because i haven't been collecting data for 90 days yet so i don't want to ship an app that promises 90 day trend history and only can give you 35 so just do a shrug emoji for the first 60 uh, all the app store reviews can you think of them um yeah but then also you'll be able to uh if you've got a favorite station type of thing you can pin that to your home screen too so if you just want to keep an eye on the nice. price at one particular station how often do you update that um the widget will update every hour mm-hmm. um so you can schedule it's a bit like complications you can schedule mm-hmm. timeline mm-hmm. refreshes um I have it every hour for almost all of the widgets with the exception of if you have hourly trends on, I'll do that every 20 minutes. Or uh, at the very least, I'll ask the system to do that every 20 minutes. Uh, whether the mm-hmm. system obliges, mm-hmm. it depends on a lot of things, uh, including low mm-hmm. power mode, um, how much battery you've got left, your network conditions. Also usage patterns, right? Yeah, usage like if, patterns if too, the, yeah. So yeah. there's all those kind of things. You're not guaranteed. Even even requesting it every hour, you're not guaranteed an update. But mm-hmm. it's difficult with Petty because it's real-time data. I can't mm-hmm. provide timeline entries into the future. I can't mm-hmm. guess that. I yeah, um, yeah. So it's all sort of real time with some delay. Uh, ha- from having used mm-hmm. the widgets myself, um, even the hourly ones, which I'm using for testing just because I figure they'll be more likely to get updated, actually seem to update reasonably quick. But obviously, I'm mm-hmm. a heavy user of Petty. I open the app yeah. a lot, especially during mm-hmm. development. So the system's mm-hmm. probably quite favorable in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've got a widget for, say, your favorite station, you probably don't need an update more than every six hours. Like, mm-hmm. it, it's not strictly necessary i might tweak the values i just don't want to uh, go off too far into the future and have the system think it's an unimportant update um Mm -hmm. so i'll play around and see what works Mm -hmm. well but yeah it's the the updates don't seem to be a problem at the moment Uh, they use a very small amount of data every time they make a request the update takes not even a second usually so Mm -hmm. i'm not concerned about uh, being Mm -hmm. killed by the system or being uh, Mm -hmm. pushed to the background at this point Mm -hmm. Um, but also realistically if someone decides that they care about the data enough to put them on a home screen i would assume that apple is is aware of that right i don't think people will have 100 widgets uh, on on their home screen if there's something on the home screen it should I mean, hourly, it might be different if you're like doing, trying to, to do like live sports scores, mm, which is really yeah. tricky, right? Because they're updating like constantly and you're trying to get it as soon as you can. Yeah, which, I think with I those kind of things, have... you could schedule updates more frequently during a live game by giving it priority. So you mm-hmm. could do the thing where like when a game is live, your priority is the highest number that you have. And that can be any number. Mm-hmm. Um, and when there's not a game and, you know, maybe overnight, for example, your priority is going to be zero. And mm. the system mm-hmm. will try to be accommodating. I know they tried to do things like that with complications on watchOS mm-hmm. as well. Um, so, they tried to be accommodating for... Because on watchOS, you, you, at least until a few years ago, you got 50 updates a day for a complication. I often saw you were given more, uh, was my experience, mm-hmm. if, um, if you requested not too many more. Um, mm-hmm. But... 
yeah. So, so I think the idea there was uh, not all apps want to stagger that out to say twice an hour. Some apps mm-hmm. uh, might want to use forty five of their updates during mm-hmm. a two hour period when a game mm-hmm. is on and be pretty silent the rest of the time. So mm-hmm. I think there are ways um, to sort of let the system know that. Uh, and also with petty widgets, I'm not expecting people to keep a petty widget on their home screen, like realistically how often do people fill up especially in this age of covid like it might only be monthly but if you add it to a stack Mm -hmm. maybe and and the system knows that Mm -hmm. maybe you check every monday morning before you drive to work Mm -hmm. then i'm hoping Mm -hmm. that the widget will surface in a more Mm -hmm. timely Mm -hmm. manner um i'm not under any illusions that it's the most useful thing to have on your home screen at all times (laughs) taking up precious real estate (laughs) but you know if it's handy for even one or two people every now and then Mm -hmm. then that's a a win um and it was fun to build Mm -hmm. so yeah it's cool Mm -hmm. awesome um, Should we do sh- picks? Yes, things of the week. Things of the week. Yay. <laughs> I was hoping someone would pick up on that. Um, <laughs> so I can go first. All right. Cool. Um, I am picking a exciting project that our friend Adam, who has been on the show before, um, has been working on. Uh, he has been working on an EP uh, called Going Nowhere, together with his friend, also called Adam, with uh, six different songs, and they're all really cool. And I think they recorded this remotely as well, because they're both in different cities and COVID. And they have been sort of writing songs and sending them back and forth to each other and uh, made an album out of it. And it's it's really cool. I, I really like it. It's um, If you like sort of uh, alternative um, alternative rock in the rock garage uh, sorry not garage uh, punk it's it's sort of that style and it's it's really cool I think we you will put the show, link in the show notes and pardon? did you mean grunge no no I just said the wrong thing not garage <laughs> okay okay no right um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry um, yeah but it's really cool um, you guys should listen to it. Cool. Mm. Zach, do you want to go next? Sure, that I can do. So I am picking, I'm a bit surprised, I'm picking a radio show and I'm also picking... Like a real um, radio something show? That's, no, something that's on Apple Music. So I never okay. thought I'd pick a radio show and I also never thought I'd pick something from Apple Music that isn't music. <laughs> um, but I came across uh, one of the radio shows that's new on Apple Music. It's been running for about three weeks. It's called... Uh, after school radio and it's hosted by mark hoppus who's a member of a few bands uh, most notably blink 182 so someone that i'm a fan of uh, his music <laughs> mm-hmm. and it's just a, a two-hour radio show seemingly weekly i'm not sure how long it's going to run for where probably if i had to guess about 90 minutes of it is music that he's played and the other 30 maybe 40 minutes is a uh, audio commentary and um, interviews with artists and things that he can get on. Um, So, that's really cool. And I've never really Mm. used any of the radio features of Apple Music before Mm. coming across this. But it's kind of half like- It it kind of feels like a podcast with some music thrown in. And that is really cool. Um, It's the kind of perfect thing- that I've been throwing on while I'm working. I only discovered mm-hmm. it this week, so I actually binged all three episodes and it was about six hours worth. Um, but it was really, it's really good. Um, I enjoy the the music that's played and the interviews are great too. And obviously being a fan of that genre, the interviews are super relevant and stuff. So a lot mm-hmm. of bands I know. Um, and it's kind of cool that it's on Apple Music and just part of the Apple Music subscription. So mm-hmm. um, it's kind of inspired me. Maybe I should check out some more and see if there's any other artists that I like who are doing similar radio shows. Cause so you listen to interviews while working? Yeah, depending on the type of work. Like the interviews are not, they're not in depth. They're not like 
a lengthy podcast. You know, you might you might get two or three minutes with a person. It's nothing to the quality of this fine show. Are you calling musicians <laughs> dumb? No, it's a radio show. It's a very different format. <laughs> what are you doing? I, I hit the drums and stuff. <laughs> it's like whoa, inspiring, dude. Yeah, sure. Anyway, that is what it is. But yeah, it's good. Cool. Um, quite quite mm. an enjoyable show. So that's my mm. pick. Mm. When speaking about music, um, what is grunge? I don't really know. Um, oh, it's okay. kind of like that undergroundy, like mm. kind of. But mm, I don't okay. know much more than that, and that's a very bad description of grunge. <laughs> See, this was this is why I felt a bit uncomfortable picking a music pick because I feel like I don't know anything about music. I'm this it's this area of like creation, like of of create of the creative world that I'm so uh, impressed by. Like, I feel like music is something I would really... That's like the one craft I would really struggle okay. committing to. Yeah. Just because it's like you have so many... S- combina- it's such a combination of skills. And I guess for me, I don't really have a rhythm in the first place. So it's it's a hard place to start. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's why I was so impressed that Adam went ahead yeah. and made an album. I, I am particularly fascinated by the creativity that seems to go along with creating music. And it, I, th- I find that really cool. Um, so I've just Googled it. And grunge is apparently a hybrid of punk and metal. So actually not too uh, far off from mm. the type of stuff. I normally listen to but I wouldn't consider myself a grunge fan normally. But uh, a, a, among popular grunge artists are apparently Nirvana and Pearl Jam and Soundgarden. Okay. So... That kind of gives an indication of the type mm. of bands that are considered grunge. I would normally just say this stuff is like punk, but yeah, I guess punk and metal and mm. whatever. I don't know. I also find music genres very weird. Um, I, I like things that have a guitar in them and that spans many, many genres. <laughs> so when people ask, what do you listen to? It's like basically half of like the music things, like <laughs> things that aren't rap and pop. Probably going to listen to it. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you should listen to Going Nowhere. It's a lot of... I think both of them play guitar. Okay, so. cool. There you go. <laughs> oh, that's mm. good. Yeah, if, if that's your threshold, then <laughs> that fits that threshold. Uh, um, cool. I, I I feel bad about breaking the, the theme of music. Um, my thing of the week is... An you mean the app. sound of music? Mm, yeah. Um, mine is uh, an app, you know, a tech show um, <laughs> called XLaunch, which is mm, an app to uh, kind of get information about upcoming launches of of uh, X's. <laughs> yeah, uh, from SpaceX. I think they currently only have data from SpaceX. Um, so it's like if if you're interested in watching like rocket launches and and different uh, missions related to space and SpaceX, it's a really nice app to to get an overview of of when those happen, getting notifications when when launches or the live streams go live. You can kind of see mission information if you're if you're kind of nerdy about that to see which which vehicle it is, usually Falcon Nines, but. Um, and what the payload is and the configuration and whether it will land or not and how often whether it will land or not yeah I mean, you've made it sound like it's gonna fail the land no no like whether the the, the, whether booster, the, plan the is stage to land one will yeah. will land or whether uh it will be not landed um which i mean most of the spacex launches now they actually land to boosters which mm. is to me it's usually the highlight of of any launch i mean the launch is fun too but landing is somehow novel and cool and special mm. uh, more so i mean again how, very entitled to, to say mm. I, I i watch for the i only landing. i only watch the rockets at lab <laughs> the other ones but it's it's just such a i don't know it feels it feels like there's so much somehow. precision needed as well and 
obviously there's precision included in but it's like i mean again launching not easy but (laughs) launching feels like i i I see how that happens right you put a lot you 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 light a lot of fuel on fire and then there's power and it pushes you up yeah that's exactly how how you see it but it feels like it feels intuitive somehow but landing is is so different right Mm -hmm. to have a thing that's the like 10 stories or like like a large building land on a on on a platform sometimes in the middle of the ocean or or back where where it launched or or But right are you it, impressed by the landing of an airplane? Uh I mean it's it's a lot more of a common sight. Uh I, if if they would if <laughs> if they just figured out like one year ago how to land an airplane maybe. <laughs> okay. I'm happy they didn't just figure it out a year ago, but I mean it's 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 different, right? It's First of all, airplanes tend to not go to space. They also <laughs> mm-hmm. happen to not then fall through the sky and then catch themselves on on a barge in the middle of the ocean. There, mm. there are a lot more components to it, mm. um, and it, it, they that the landing is looking like a reverse launch like that they actually not falling flat. Right? Mm-hmm. It's not like all right, it, there's like a touchdown and then it's kind of it's back on ground. It's actually like uh facing the same way as i mean it's, i don't know it's just fascinating to see <laughs> no no a I launch agree. vehicle actually landing just, again yeah um and it feels like the closest we have to like that to me is the most sci-fi thing we currently have in the world i found it to be particularly impressive when they land on a drone ship like i know they land on a very precise area when they land on land as well but the fact that they're landing on the ocean and they have to hit this small target, which is a ship, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. Hmm. But it's, I don't know, it's, it, it depends, right? Uh, depending if they have enough fuel to go back to land or not. That's hmm. why they, how they decide whether to land on a drone ship or, or back on land. Hmm. It's just when you saw the Falcon Heavy launch and they had two boosters or they tried to land all three parts. So it's kind of, if you, if you're not seen a Falcon Heavy, it kind of looks like, three boosters strapped uh um together it apparently is a bit more complicated than that but conceptually <laughs> kind of looks like three boosters strapped together hmm. and when they landed the two side boosters simultaneously on on adjacent yeah. uh, pads and they had like perfect timing as well yeah it looked so synchronous it was it was really that's nice. just was one of the most fascinating kind of s- yeah space geeky site you you could imagine yeah you're right that looked pretty sci-fi mm. yeah. and then they unfortunately lost the, the middle booster but i mean still pretty good two out of three for for the first launch of that vehicle yeah um but yeah if if that sounds at all intriguing <laughs> uh x launch is is an app to to be notified and get some information about those launches before they happen mm. or after they happen but if you want to watch them it's probably better to be informed before they happen <laughs> Yeah, unless you just want to watch the landing, then then you can just jump into where it's at. Mm. Yeah, but it's, I don't know, space is fascinating. Yeah, no, I think it's really cool. I would love to go and actually watch a real launch mm. in, in person mm. once. I mean, there's a reason our app is called Orbit. It's because we kind of think uh, space is fun. <laughs> space is fun. Mm. Mm. I've heard you, it's you pretty think you like it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool. uh, it would be like if, if Orbit would make a few billion dollars, space would be the next kind of uh, industry we would try to expand into. So everyone uh, Everyone subscribe. buy Orbit. <laughs> then Kai can strap three pieces of... <laughs> how, how easy was it, Kai? You put some fuel on... Together. You, you just launch some fuel and then, yeah, you're, yeah. then you're in space. Yeah. I think everyone wants to fund that project. <laughs> 
<laughs> See, and because no one wants to give me money for launching uh, things into orbit, uh, we we have to sell uh, copies of orbit to get there ourselves. That's it. All it all checks out. I don't know. It what goes you're full circle here. somehow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. But but first, let's try to get to to a place where orbit pays for food and rent, and then we can talk about space travel. Things. Yeah. Cool. Um, next week will be a special episode again. Um, oh, yeah. With a special guest. So um, I'm not going to say who it is. I'm going to leave people in tension, in, in, in suspension. In suspense. Uh, in suspense. In suspense. <laughs> I leave yeah. people in suspense. No, we're and, gonna, yeah. I'm pretty excited about this next one. Yeah. Um, I'm excited about all yeah, of them. Another cool indie dev. Uh, I just think it's fun to always have a chance to talk to different people about what they're doing. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it'll be awesome. Uh, so, on our toes, too. Yeah. <laughs> it, because it is actually quite different. I, I think the format of like. We, we we try to not make it too much of an interview right mm. it's more like a chat but we have some kind of question areas prepared to yeah. because you, you you don't know right we're the three of us we talk like every every week at least for the last i don't know multiple years now and and some some before that so we kind of know we, we kind of we kind of know how to talk to each other. Are you other. calling us boring? <laughs> no, not necessarily. You can read out of, you take out of it whatever you want. <laughs> but it's it's different to to then like have something that's more with with a with someone else that that's not yeah. been potentially on our podcast or on any podcast before, hmm. right? Um, it it is definitely a different type of challenge. To so far, it's been super easy. Somehow, I I I think I we put a lot more pressure on ourselves to like be pre- well prepared and, mm-hmm. and and have a whole bunch of questions to ask because you don't want anything that like, you don't want a conversation to run dry or something. Mm-hmm. But it's it's definitely something that I uh, thought I would struggle with because interviews are usually not the kind of format i like so i'm kind of happy that we made it into this kind of format that that suits us better and i hope that's interesting to people as well because mm. it gets into it allows a lot more for like you know going off topic and go wherever we happen to yep. to get and i think we're yeah. we're all kind of interested in broad enough around topics in in tech and surrounding areas that there can be interesting discussions you know you, hmm. you wouldn't think that you're necessarily talking about how to run conferences or or uh, microsoft surface uh devices um, hmm. on our show because that's usually not something that we would talk a lot about but if it comes up it's still a fun fun discussion to have 